Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with our new co-host for season number 12, Michael Newton, the big boss at FL Montreal. Uh, Michael, welcome back to the show, and thanks for joining me. Hello, Dan. That's about as close as you're going to get to hearing Josh's voice. Um, Josh has been the host of this show for uh, the first 11 seasons. He is he was the voice and the and the heart of all of this. But uh, for those of you that are aware, Josh has uh, taken uh, taken a change in career path and uh, that has taken him away from uh, the professional accounting and has also taken him away from the radio. So uh, we wish him well and certainly thank him for uh, 11 great years on this show. And Josh will be back as a guest co-host, by the way. So uh, if you do miss him and do miss that booming hello, it will be back. And I have to say thank you, Josh, uh, uh, you know, just as a friend for having such dedication to the show for so long. And this is back, Mike, I mean, 12 years ago, no one was talking about sponsored content for business. You know, everyone was doing infomercials and regular ads. This kind of program uh, is really unique. And today, uh, I think looking back, it was a really innovative idea that both you and Josh put together. And and thanks to Josh for uh, putting so much effort into this. You know, it's one of those things that uh, you try and what's the old expression, you try and make lemonade when somebody hands you lemons. I mean, this was born out of a uh, great uh, recession uh, initiative whereby uh, we were looking to get exposure while everybody else was cutting costs. And uh, Josh and I, uh, you know, started to look at the opportunities and uh, he'd always wanted to have a radio show. He had the voice for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it kind of took on a life of its own. What started out is, you know, what keeps you awake at night and has certainly evolved not only in name, but in, in content and in, uh, and in style. So stay tuned. Uh, there'll be more features. There'll be more complimentary stuff on the web for today's entrepreneur fans and also different ways that you can get it as a podcast as well. So we'll, we'll be in touch about those details. Dan, I would just like to throw in one comment before we begin. It's, uh, this is very important. After 11 years of occasionally sitting in for Josh, where you always said, this is uh, today's entrepreneur with guest host Mike Newton sitting in for Josh Miller. When you bring Josh back, I can't wait to hear you say, this is Josh Miller sitting in from Mike Newton. That's all I wanted oh. to throw. <laughs> it'll be so strange. I, I almost said Josh right off the top. I'm uh, sure it'll just, happen a few times. It's just the rote memory thing. Um, but we are looking forward to having him back on the show and new contributors as well. So it's going to be another season filled with uh, lots of inspiration, recorded remotely, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, because we are uh, continuing to practice social distancing and we're recording this um, via Zoom using the, the latest in technology. So um, our guest tonight, by the way, uh, is someone I'm really excited about. Once in a while, you guys give me a pick, and this one was one of my picks. It's David Cote from Loop Mission. Uh, he's going to tell us about his business. He, he buys unwanted fruits and veggies, ugly fruits and veggies that may not be sold in supermarkets. He then juices them into uh, juices and smoothies and even gin and dog treats. It's a really remarkable company, and, and talk about the circular economy. I mean, no one does this better in Montreal than I think these days than Loop Mission. And I love their juice. I love their juice. So we'll talk to David Cote uh, in a little bit. But first, Mike, um, our news and notes. And we begin, of course, with post-COVID. And that's really what's on everyone's mind. We did these series of uh, emergency COVID broadcasts over the summer with all the relief information, the the tax advice. Now we're a few months later, we're settling into what's being described as the new normal. What do entrepreneurs have to do to prepare their workplaces for, for this new normal this fall? 
Well, I think it, it you know it's one of these, these these situations that is foreign to a lot of people. I mean, we can we're really good at at fixing up the physical side of things. We can put up the barriers, we can put up the plastic, we can uh, make sure that we've got uh, the PPE to protect everybody. But the biggest challenge for most people coming back is going to be the mental uh, side of things. You know, we have uh, most most of our people have been working. Uh, our team has been working from home since middle of March. For them to start coming back to the office, you know, they're, they're, there's a massive hurdle here for people to overcome. And I think most businesses are dealing with that. That's similar. You know, as, as much as it was difficult for people to cross that threshold back in March to go work at home, it's going to be doubly hard for them to cross the threshold and come back. Uh, in terms of uh, relief that is out there, um, rent relief, etc., are, are those programs still ongoing, especially at the retail level? Yeah, uh, the uh, the Secra program is still out for rentals. Uh, the uh, the SUS, uh, as they call it, CEWS, is still there, and the wage subsidy. Um, you know, you can look at that and you can say this is great. Uh, you know, the governments uh, continue to support and, and and help us through, which I think is really what government is has purpose should be at the end of the day. Uh, however, it gives an indication of how concerned everyone is when we keep extending some of these deadlines. Uh, it means that we're you know, still a ways away from, from solving this and getting everybody back on, uh, back on their feet. And uh, there's, there's, you know, we're, we're certainly not out of the water. I think, you know, you look at the estimates for the coming fall with everybody back to school uh, as it starts to get cool out again, uh, there's still a big concern from an economic standpoint. But uh, having said that, uh, you know, the show must go on. Uh, we, we have businesses to run. We have an economy to run. We have people to protect. And we have to find a way to meld that into an environment that allows people uh, some mental sanity as, as they come back to work. Talking about the new normal, our, uh, one article you wanted to mention here from Fast Company uh, says that our definition of success is holding business back and it's time for a new one. Indeed, uh, defining success quarter by quarter uh, in this situation is a little bit difficult. Yeah, it's, you know, you, if even before COVID, you could see this starting to permeate through um, businesses and certainly those that are kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve from a culture perspective where, you know, bottom line profitability was no longer going to be sufficient, certainly for the younger generation to keep score. Uh, it was environmental awareness. It was uh, carbon neutral. It was mental health issues. So, you know, what we're seeing now is that COVID has taken something that has, uh, has been moving its way along and kind of thrown it upon us to have a new way to start looking at what is it we are going to measure. I mean, for many years, well, you know, uh, you know, Fortune 500 is ranked its members based on gross revenue, uh, top to bottom. Uh, is that really a, a an ongoing uh, scenario? I mean, people talk about work happiness scorecards. They're talking about culture assessments. You know, it, it, this has almost become the environmental push of the business world. This piece from Elemental, which is an interesting outlet, long-form outlet on, uh, on Medium, um, your surge capacity is depleted. It's why you feel awful. I mean, is everyone's, everyone's having bandwidth issues, I guess, as they say, Michael. Yeah, I mean, the bandwidth issues we're talking about here is pretty much in your brain. I mean, there are certain people that thrive, and I happen to be one of them, under crisis. And, you know, the adrenaline rush that comes with uh, raising the game is, is, is just that. It's an adrenaline rush. It, it, it lifts you to new levels. And for 
for those people that thrive on problem solving and you can call them type A personalities. You can call, you know, there's different names for them. The reality is, is on times of crisis, you know, we, we are, we are at our best. Unfortunately, it also means that when it slows down and we're not back to normal, we also crash further than everybody else. What goes up must come down. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, the, when you talk about the surge capacity, the capacity is really how much capacity do you have to, to play in an environment that uh, takes you out of uh, your comfort zone, circle the wagon, protect people around you, protect your businesses. But you know what? It's not uncommon to find yourself collapsing afterwards. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that. A lot of people that did a phenomenal job during uh, you know, the first three or four months hit the summer without vacation, without an opportunity to turn off and are still asked to be on, who are emotionally uh, drained. And, and I think that's where uh, it's not uncommon. And people start to need to start to recognize that they're not, uh, you know, they're not way out there in left field if they're still feeling the pain from all of this. So, Mike, our, our first show, our first permanent show together, and uh, I'm very happy to welcome David Cote to the program. David is the co-founder of Loop Mission. They take ugly, unwanted fruits and veggies, make them into juices, smoothies, all kinds of products. Uh, David, welcome to the show, and congratulations on your business. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be there. You know, the first thing that uh, when, I, when, I, when I sit down to start looking at our guests, I do a little bit of research and, and I go to the Loop Mission website. Uh, the first thing that popped out at me is the rescue mission, uh, mission statement. And, you know, that your goal of, uh, as Dan said, you know, reprodu- uh, reusing uh, unwanted fruit. Uh, funny enough, uh, as we came on on uh, Zoom for the first thing uh, for our listeners, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, this is radio, but David's sitting there with his uh, his whippet dog, uh, and with a beautiful face was a rescue. And I start into my story about two Italian greyhounds who are rescues. Dan then turns around and says, Hey, here's my dog. Who's a rescue. So, you know, um, I think there's a reason why, uh, you caught our attention other than the fact that Dan likes his stuff. David, what drove you to, to, to this environment? Where do you come from? Where, you know, what, what, what drives you to do what you do on a daily basis? Um, I get that question a lot, and I, I, it seems like I've been an entrepreneur all my life. Like when, Even when I was eight years old, I was going in the forest to uh, pick up some stones, and I was throwing them on other rocks to, to split them open, and I was selling them $1 to the neighbors, and I guess they were kind enough to buy them from me, even if they had nothing interesting. <laughs> and then I, at, at 16 years old, I, I left the country. I actually... Well, I got a, a little van uh, that I got on uh, on Kijiji or Craigslist. I don't remember, and I I made I put a little bed in it, and I left with my girlfriend. And I I started a little travel that to me I was coming back in a few months, but I left for eight years. So from sixteen years old to twenty four, I traveled the world. Really, I went uh, here and there. I was planting trees in British Columbia. I was working on farms in Hawaii and Morocco and Guatemala and Mexico and. I basically, that was my university. You know, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to university. All my friends were students. And I, when I was 16, I didn't know what I wanted, what I wanted to become, really. So I decided to, instead of, of taking a degree in something I wasn't sure of, I will just travel the world, really. And yeah, and that's how that's... I came, when I came back to Montreal, I decided to open a restaurant with no money. I had absolutely zero dollars. So I went to a banker. I asked for $300,000. Uh, she laughed at me and she, she told me I should do my income taxes from the last eight years before I asked for money. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, uh, yeah. And then I, I started catering for my apartment. So I really started with nothing bootstrapping totally. 
selling, you know, uh, wraps and sandwiches out of my cooler, uh, strapped on my bicycle. And uh, that's how I became an entrepreneur. And slowly but surely, I started making kombucha, which is a fermented tea. And it became Rice Kombucha, as you probably maybe know in Canada. Yeah. We're the biggest kombucha brand in Canada. And, and I, with that brand, I've learned everything. You know, I made all of the mistakes an entrepreneur can do in all the spheres, in HR and marketing and everything. I did so many mistakes. But even with all those mistakes, I actually uh, made the profit and, and the business became successful. And, and really what brought me to Foodways today is a simple phone call, really. I, I got a phone call from one guy that I didn't know. And he told me he was throwing away 16 tons of fruits and vegetables every single day. And that phone call freaked me out. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that any company out there could throw so much food in one single day, 365 days a year. You know, there's not even a holiday for food waste. It happens every single day. So I visited the warehouse in Anjou in Eastern, in Eastern Montreal. And, and he, he showed me everything he was wasting. And I, I had the shiverings, you know, and I, and I said, that's it. I need, I need to start it. I was with, with my girlfriend that I just met at that time that she was working in sustainability. Her name is Julie. And her dream was to start a business that the more you sell of something, no matter how much you get, how much you grow, big you get growing, you always do a better things for the environment, really. So the more you sell, the better it is. And so that's how we started the, the project, really. It's interesting because one of the one of the lines on the website is we aren't dumpster divers and and, and I got a good chuckle out of that because I think you you know Dan when you open the show based on you know looking at you know re- working on recycling uh, fruits and veggies or taking the ugly fruits and veggies you kind of get the figure of uh, uh, you know of David and his partner sitting out dumpsters behind a restaurant uh, kind of cleaning out and <laughs> and doing uh, you know I think you know how does this work I mean do they bring produce to you do you pick it up where's the where's the where's the exercise uh, lead itself to yeah yeah so we started with a co-packer just to test the business model because you know we weren't sure when we said we were going to you know make a, pro- a food product with the with the rejected produce uh we were basically saying exactly the opposite than all of the food manufacturer have been saying in the last 35 years, right? If you look at any food package out there and you look at the back, no matter, even, even if it's a cheap potato chip bag, it's still going to say that they end picked by end the best high quality potatoes to make those amazing potato chips, right? And right. we were going out with a new business saying we've selected the ugly and the, and the rejected one. So that was our biggest fear. So, so before opening a factory, we started with a co-packer and just to test to see if the, the model was, was sustainable. And, and to our amazing surprise, our mission, everybody was ready for it. Nobody, were, nobody was kind of uh, doubtful of our mission. Or no, nobody found us disgusting or anything. People understood the food waste. And so as soon as, soon as we got that we had a business in ends, we opened a factory inside the produce warehouse of Courchain-La Rose, which is the biggest supplier of produce in Canada. Okay. And th- those are the guys that throw away 16 tons every day. So we've built a, a, basically a transformation center right in their warehouse. So there is no transportation for the produce. So we transform them into cold-pressed juices right on the spot. Uh, so that basically limits all the transportation. It's kind of nice. And then, and then we buy it. You know, circular economy, the idea is not to – we're not a nonprofit that's, you know, that depends on donation or anything. We're really a for-profit company that takes the overstock and gives, gives money for it, you know. 
You know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to have one of my partners, Nick Moretis, on at the end, who's a uh, who's a, one of our tax gurus. And, you know, one of the things that accountants are known for are organizational charts and flow charts. I have to say the second page of your website is probably one of the greatest visuals I have ever seen for a description of a business. And for those of you that get a chance to go to loopmission.com, scroll down to the, uh, the, the picture of uh, what's there, which is, I guess, pretty much like a chart chart and your manufacturing processing chart. And I, it's great. I mean, uh, it sums everything up on one page. So uh, kudos to you, David, for, uh, for being able to describe what you do so clearly. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Um, Dan, you know, one of, one of the things that we always try to grasp with, with entrepreneurs is, you know, what, what have we done? What have they done? Sorry, you know, good and bad and ugly. And, and David, you made a point earlier about all your mistakes were done in your previous business. And one or two that stand out to you that, uh, you know, you learned from that you think other people make that, you know, you could, uh, you could kind of guide them in the right direction. Oh, there's so many, Mike. <laughs> but I, I guess I think the biggest mistake I've done at first was to really, really basically not trust my instincts because I had no experience. I had so such a, a zero experience in business. And because I didn't go to school, I felt like I was so ignorant in the matter that, you know, so I, I basically surrounded myself with consultants and and, and people with high degrees and uh, lots of certificates and, and, and degrees, but that I, I got them because of their, of their resume, but I didn't really have a good connection with them, you know? Yeah. So I think that's the first mistake I did because I, I felt like the resume was all, you know, to, to basically kind of, of, of work with me with my, with my lack of it. And, and I think the, one of the, the things I can tell to on young entrepreneurs that starts is to actually surround yourselves with people you can drink a beer with, you know, not with, not with, even if people have, don't have necessarily the, the most amazing resume, if they have the passion and the, and the desire to, you know, to achieve something and, and, and really uh, a connection with you, then there's a good chance that you're going to be more happy at work and you're going to bring your business further if you only take people for their brain or what their, their, or their knowledge really. And David, I have to compliment you on the marketing. And I also did this months ago before I knew uh, I knew you were going to be on the program. I was chatting with Marie-Claude Lorty uh, from La Presse, food critic, very well known. And so she's very discerning on these things. And she was also noticing a trend, and that is that your juices don't always taste exactly the same. And I had a really interesting experience with that. And I think that's a good thing. And I'll explain why. Uh, I got an email from you guys saying we just got this massive load of strawberries. Do you remember the email that I'm referring to? Of course. Of course. So I saw the email and I'm reading with great interest. You scored this huge, huge delivery of strawberries. About a week later or, or two weeks, I buy some loop juice and the Morning Glory brand that I, that I tend to like. And I'm tasting it's just ever so slightly strawberry heavy. And I'm thinking, what a beautiful thing. I mean, this is, this is a direct connection to a piece of marketing that I, I haven't really had before. Um, can you talk about that? Was that a planned rollout, David? I, I've, I've honestly never had that kind of connection to a juice before. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I'm glad you're connected to the juice. That sounds amazing. When Love you're the juice. juice company. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was, you know, when you start a corporate juice companies, and I guess we're not a juice company anymore, really a circular economy project that does so many pro- products now, but at first we were juice and, and we realized that, you know, looking at, at, at the food industry in general, everything tastes the same all the time. And you learn even in marketing and, and, and food manufacturing that 
customers always want the same thing. And if the taste changed just a little bit, you're, you're, you're in trouble because they're not going to go back to it. And the reality is, you know, when you make juice with no added ingredients, with no sugar added, with no water, with no pasteurization, we don't decide if there was rain in, in Chile when the pineapple grew on that specific month, right? And we don't decide if there's humidity in the truck when it comes from, from Spain or whatever. So the fruits and veggies never have the same amount of water or the same amount of bricks, which is the sugar content. In it. So the juice have to taste different. If the juice is always tasting the same, there's kind of something wrong about it. And, and if you actually really make a juice at home with normal fresh produce, it will never taste the same. So for us, it was, it was something we were a bit scared when we started the project that consumers will actually not like it. But at the same time, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a seal, you know, it's kind of a proof that our juice are always fresh and always done every week, really. Very interesting. It's you know you I guess you 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 can equate that to to wine, right? At the end of the day, the soil content, uh, the weather that's been around, and anything that's growing naturally and, and is reproduced into a natural type of food for us, uh, you are going to get a variation. And then that's uh, I guess that says something, Dan, about the quality of uh, the nutrients and the and and the fruit and veggies that they're using. I thought that was so interesting. I mean, I've I've never um, seen a product change before my eyes before, and I thought that was it, it was great. You know, I, I think uh, uh, it's it's different, certainly, David. And you mentioned the the repetitive and and sort of bland nature of products that are expected to be all the same. Um, have you had any complaints? By the way, do people do people challenge that philosophy because they're not used to the product shifting? No, no, we 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 have some comments. I mean, people write to say my juice this week is different than last week. Uh, but it's never really a complaint. It's kind of more of a, of a, of a fact and a statement. And, you know, what's amazing is that w- with our business model, you know, when you start a business, you, normally you look at, at, at trends and, you know, market studies and, you know, what's, what's the flavor and trend to actually decide what kind of products you're going to make. And with circular economy, when you work with waste and, and byproduct from the industry, we have to basically do the opposite. So we look at the problem, which is a specific uh, product that's wasted and then we have to find a way to transform it into something new that the, that the market is going to need you know and so it's it's a it's kind of a counterintuitive thing, thing to do as, as a business owner at first but at the same time it's amazing because we feel like we solve a problem every time right and so we're not never we're going to say like oh we need to launch a, a tequila because tequila is in trend no you know if, if ever i have something in overstock that i can make tequila with then i'll do it or else i'm never going to do it so interestingly enough, we're talking about juice. We're talking about some uh, pretty, uh, I guess, what we'll consider to be pretty basic stuff. So talk to us about the two things that really caught my attention. And one is gin. <laughs> the other are dog treats. You know, we're going to go from human consumption of uh, the health to uh, to the gin and dog treats. And preferably, we don't mix them up. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, we... You know, when we started as a juice company, we were not expecting to do so many products, but then we started getting phone calls, right? And then we were sitting at the, the table, we were winning a prize for a food manufacturer uh, innovation, which was our smoothies with, that we make with Sobeys. And, and we got the, the lady from Yum Yum, the crispy kernel company, sitting at our table saying, hey, guys, I actually threw away tons of potato cuttings every week in our in our potato chips factory can you guys do something with it and of course it's hard for me to say no and whenever i hear something that gets wasted i'm like okay let's let's find a solution so i i started calling distilleries and i spoke with those guys at mariana and and trois rivières and they said yeah we can totally distill it and make alcohol out of it grain alcohol and then and then we could make a gin so we 
So we made it, we launched a gin about seven months ago with uh, ginger juice, lime juice, also from discarded produce, and uh, potato uh, cuttings distilled, really. And, and, and it's an amazing gin. It's, it's sold in the SAQ. We're already the fourth best selling gin in Quebec, which is amazing. This also we were not expecting. And uh, yeah, and then we, you know, when we started the project, you know, making juice was, was creating a lot of byproduct, which is fiber and pulp, because we extract the juice and we left. We leave the fiber and the pulp on the side, so so we right away partner up with a with a dog treat company called Wilder and Area, and they they basically buy our fiber and pulp and transform it to back into vegan dog treats. So so that's what they do for training treats, and you know there's it's endless. You know our because we have so much pulp still going on. We we're also launching a line of cookies pretty soon in the bakery and the grocery stores made with our pulp and also the overstock from the beer industry, which is a, a grain basically barley. Uh, that's been used for making the beer. Fascinating. Uh, you know, it's one of the things you said at the beginning of this interview is, is you know, you, you, you traveled for eight years in the van and, and planting trees and doing all of that. I mean, clearly, no matter what you seem to, to pop up doing, David, there's a sustainability and an environmental angle to it. And, and I think it's, it, it's phenomenal. We listen to a lot of people who talk about, you know, trying to protect the environment or do something different. And, and the fact that you have turned this into not only a reality, but, uh, you know, <laughs> An operating reality is uh, is 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 very much uh, a testament to to you and your partners uh, as you do this, and I and I guess that will uh, that will segue into my probably my biggest last question uh, uh, on this topic and and, and likely. Uh, the possibly the most diciest of topics, and that's having partners. Um, you know, we uh, it, it's a very in, interesting environment as an entrepreneur to uh, take on partners to provide, uh, I guess, an open spectrum. A lot of people are brought up under the corporate mentality where it's a top-down kind of triangular function. But the more partners you bring into the fray, the more that you flatten that uh, that triangle. So David, uh, in your previous business, you had quite a few partners, though. I will say in the cur- most current one, you've uh, decided to scale that down. Talk to us a little bit about being in business with other partners. For sure. Well, I, you know, when I started, I think I was uh, young and naive. And even with my first company, I was actually giving shares. I was like, oh, I like, I like, I like you. I I think I'm going to give you some shares. I was I was very young, so I was so I, I ended up having so many partners. And then you know when the art decisions comes, or when the money gets art to actually get, or when the, you know when the business is going well, it's always kind of easy. But when the business is not going well, and you need to get to re- reinvest in, or you need a, a cash investment or anything, then it gets actually very complicated. And the more partners you get, everybody kind of wants to pull on the blanket, and it's not partners that have the same desire to grow their business. Some have more personal desire to actually make some dividends and things like this. So it gets very complex and actually it's mostly time consuming, you know, having to manage your partners, having to always update them to make sure that everybody's happy, making all of those board meetings. It's so time consuming, right? And, and that kind of can basically defocus you from running your business to actually running your partners. And then, and with Loop, I'm so happy because I have one partner, which is my wife, and and one board board which is Courchain La Rose with, that are you know partners in, with us in the business, uh, and it's it's a dream team you know because everybody brings the right thing and you know Courchain La Rose our partner they're very they're good in logistics they're good in in, in operation, and Julie and I my wife and I were we're actually very good in marketing and branding and creating a story so we can actually really bring our forces to the table together right and I think with circular economy what what's even deeper with partners is that instead of having 
you know, shareholders with us, we're actually creating abundance and, and, and a business flow for other companies. You know, we have a, a beer co-packer and they have twice more employees because we're there with them, right? And they, they, they actually sell the beer for us with a, with a branded license. And so they actually make the profit out of the beer and they give us a royalty. Uh, same thing for a soap factory. We have a soap factory that makes soap for us. Uh, and they have so much more employees and so much more better machinery because they can actually have more volume because we give them our volume, right? So the idea is to actually not own everything ourselves, but, you know, creating so many products so fast, you need partnerships around there that they can actually grow their own business with your help uh, and, and basically sharing the concept of, 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 the, of the circular economy. Super interesting model, David. Thanks so much for sharing it. And you're going to hang around. We'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. First, we welcome back our contributor, Nick Moraitis, tax partner at FL, to talk about, well, taxes, of course. And uh, we'll begin, Nick, with some looming deadlines. Uh, welcome back. How are you? Very good yourself, Dan. Excellent. Thank you. So we've had, of course, some grace periods over the last few months, naturally, for both home and office. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about looming deadlines for September in, in both categories? There's one large deadline, uh, taxes that haven't been paid uh, so far this year. And this is for uh, installments for individuals like the June and September installments or the, or the taxes owing on your tax return. They're due before September 30th. Otherwise, there's going to be penalties and we don't know how they're going to calculate it, but it, it's, a, it's worthwhile to remember that. This also applies for corporations who do monthly installments or did not pay the corporate taxes that were due on their, the filing of their uh, corporate tax returns early this year. You got to September 30th. Don't miss that deadline. Right. I think that was pretty clear there, Nick. Uh, yes, we're I think so. missing a deadline. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, the, I guess the one uh, one of the questions that a lot of people have raised are the uh, it's going to be where the where the subsidies uh, obviously there's a number of issues uh, going forward on a taxation as to how they should be treated as well as what this is going to mean to our tax rates 18 months or two years out from now uh, since we don't have that crystal ball I'll let you start with the easier one what is the uh, what are the tax implications of some of these wage subsidies and rental subsidies. Okay, so a lot of this, uh, all this government money that's coming in uh, is subject to tax. So the wage subsidy that businesses, many businesses have been relying on uh, is fully taxable income. You're going to be reporting it. If you're suffering losses this year, it would be reducing your losses. So they may not be such a big tax hit. But it also applies to, uh, for those who use the $40,000 SIBA loan, where 25% uh, of it is uh, forgivable if you pay it before December 31st, 2022. Unfortunately, the way the law is written, uh, that, that say $10,000 savings that you're going to have is taxable today because you got the money today. If you don't pay it by 2022, there's a, a deduction, but just you have to remember it's taxable today. So that's one of the nuances you may want to pick up. Same thing for the SECRA, for the landlords who are getting the 50% rent covered by uh, the CMHC. And there's also supposed to be a, a, a Quebec top up for about 12.5%. That would be, even though it's a forgivable loan, it is taxable in the year that you receive it. So remember that. And for everybody who's been claiming the CERB, I think I mentioned it on the Iron Ranch show several times already, all that income is taxable. So that's something that you have to remember with all these programs. I'm just going to move into over two other quick points that I'm very certain that many businesses uh, as uh, for our have suffered losses this year, perhaps to an extent they never had before, and especially in the last since the 2008 2009 crisis, um, you should know that you, you, their losses 
have a three-year carry back and a 20-year carry forward provision. What that basically means, the loss you've suffered this year, you can carry it back in the last three years where you've had profits and then get back to some of the taxes that you paid. And any losses that are, if it's over and above that, you can use them for the, over the next 20 years. So there is, there you should keep that in mind when you're doing it. Um, with losses as well, you can, may have to be able to adjust installments this year if you're required to make installments because last year was a very good year. You should reconsider your installments for this year. And if you end up the, a year with losses, uh, well, that means next year your, your installments are zero even though you might be starting to make profits there. So there's something ab about that. The larger losses and the larger corporations, there's a lot of intergroup services that you should be re-looking at as to uh, where the costs are, etc. And finally, a quick word on home expenses. Uh, for many employers, you're probably facing a situation where your, your employees have been working from home, not because they wanted to, but because you, uh, they were required to. So where the, an employee is required to work at home and where the employee spend more than 50% of his working time working from home, an employee can uh, deduct the home office expenses off his personal tax return. What we as employers have to do, however, is two forms, a federal form, a T2200, and a Quebec form, a TP643, where you're going to indicate that the employee has been working from home because he had to and uh, for how long. Now, there's a lot of debate, Mike. Um, in the law, it talks about you spending more than 50% of the time working from home as opposed to the office. Um, that usually means January to December, but I'm hearing in the street that the CRA and the MRQ are going to consider that for people who have worked uh, from home, say, from mid-March to July-August, that's not exactly six months, but they may allow for these deductions to occur for that period of time. That's pretty much what I had to say. You know, Nick, you always get my blood racing when you bring out those T2200 numbers and all those yes. numbers. Well, it's, it's something that many employers may not have ever filed before. It's, it's going to be something to consider this year. Thanks very much. Hey, Mike, I'm not late this year. That's uh, positive news. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's turn to David Cote and ask uh, David, as we do at the end of each broadcast, David, what is your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think for any entrepreneurs out there that are looking to start a new business or that are, you know, in their first few starts of business, I think that I think the, the main questions I will ask myself is, does my business is really solving a problem? Like, am I really solving something out there in the society that actually is a is a yelling problem? That's an obvious thing that can be solved. And, and it, here's the thing. If I do, then my business is going to be a a easier to manage, uh, easier to make a profit of, easier to attract employees because everybody's looking for a purpose and a mission deeper than just working somewhere. And if I don't, then it, it might be an issue because if I don't, I might be part of the problem. <laughs> I know that sounds radical, but, but that's the thing. You know, most of business out there, they get to a, a size that might be a threshold where you know, the bigger you get, eventually you start being pretty bad for the environment. So, so I think that's my advice is to really ask ourselves, am I really part of the solution? If not, I might be part of the problem. I don't think, David, you could have tied in any better to one of our earlier story, stories in the show, which was definition of success in a, in a business. You've just redefined uh, what I think a lot of the, the newer, uh, the newer uh, entrepreneurs are looking at is, am I going to make a difference? Am I solving a problem? And not just am I lining my pockets at the end of the day? This will be a debate that will rage on for a long time to come. But uh, thank you, David, for your time and your energy and, and what you're doing out there. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure.
Thank you, David. And well, don't forget uh, for some tax advice, corporate tax matters, visit the blogs at flmontreal.com. And uh, by the way, also at todaysentrepreneur.org, where we house uh, 200 plus of these shows, you can actually uh, learn about David's first business, Rise Kombucha, uh, which was a profile a few years ago. So Rise Kombucha is also at todaysentrepreneur.org. Mike, it was a pleasure. I hope you found the first uh, first episode to your liking. Generally, I'm not the problem. It's everybody tolerating me. So, so long as you liked it, Dan, we're good to go. We are good to go. Back Monday night at 7 p.m. here at CJD 800. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Good talk.